0: This is the fourth message in a series on prayer that we have been delivering on Sunday night. I trust that there is being kindled within you a greater consciousness of God's presence in your life, that he is always available, that you can talk to him at any time and in any place and under any kind of circumstance, that you can develop a very intimate relationship with him. Notice this prayer of David. How many of you have a Bible? Just lift it up in the air a minute, would you? Let me look. Seem to be a little more spiritual on the main floor than in the balcony, but... (laughs) Good representation, however. Let's read them together. That's what I wanted to see. I think we have enough, so... Share with your neighbor if they don't have a copy. They'll they'll bring one next time. We'll read in unison, 86, Psalm 1 through 7. Are you ready? Bow down thine ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant who trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all those who call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. All of the writers agree that this is a psalm of David, a psalm written when he is going through some difficult place in his life. And what he is doing is really rehearsing for himself the facts of prayer, God's presence, God's availability, and that when a person trusts in the Lord, the Lord will answer him. Last statement of verse 7. So we're going to use this as a base for our message titled, Why Should I Pray? I want to suggest that there are four basic reasons why you should pray And if you would like to write them down, I think it would be good if you would remember them, ponder them in the days that are ahead. Now, the first one is a very elementary point, observation, truth. Why should I pray? If you were here bringing this message on this subject, What would be your first reason to tell this body of people that they should pray? Well, I had to ask that, and here's what I came up with. We should pray because it's the only way to be saved. It's the only way that you can have any kind of a relationship with God. You cannot even become a Christian without prayer. It's impossible. Sprinkling won't do it. Immersion won't do it. Paying tithes will not do it. So many good deeds will not do it. There is only one way to be saved, and it's found in Romans 10 Verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, the cry of the human heart is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that is a prayer. We should pray because it's our only access to a holy God. In our sinfulness, we cry unto him, God, be merciful to me, and he hears us. Whosoever shall call shall be saved. As I said this morning, I believe it is in the heart of every man to have a knowledge of God. And I believe that When the chips are down, every man wants to know he is a forgiven man. But the only way that can come about is by prayer, by asking for the forgiveness of God. Then I would like to say that if you have asked, you have been granted forgiveness. I deal, it seems, so often with people who are in kind of a limbo position. I'm not sure whether I am saved or not. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not. Well, if you have asked, God heard you. If you have asked, God has responded to you. So therefore, you need to begin thanking him for answering your prayer. I did not say anything about how you felt, did I? I did not say whether you had chills running up and down your spine or not. I simply am making a statement of fact that when we call, He answers, praise God. And we must accept Him as a person of His Word that He does not intimidate us with His promises. He means what he says, and if we have called, he has answered. He has made the slate clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just as if we have never sinned. You accept that and begin to praise him for salvation. It's full and it's free, and it's yours by asking for it. I have observed people Coming to God in so many different ways, I could never tell you just exactly the way you ought to come other than the way I'm suggesting. Just ask. I have seen people in such contrition throw themselves on the altar in great heaviness and sighing. I have seen them literally weep for hours over their sins coming to God. I have seen others come down to the altar and just look up with the most beautiful smile on their face that you have ever seen, even before their knees have hit the ground. There has been that consciousness of forgiveness in God's presence, and it's symbolized by that smile of relief that comes to the human spirit. I have seen others express no emotion whatsoever, and those are the ones that I tell. Whoever calls shall be saved. You don't have to feel something, although it's wonderful when you do. But that's not the basis of our salvation, is it? It's not how I feel. Tomorrow morning is Monday, and we have a way of calling it Blue Monday. And it may be that tomorrow morning you will not feel so saved. But that doesn't mean you're not saved. If I had to depend on my feelings on Monday morning, I would not want to continue very long. But it it is not to do with our feeling. It has nothing to do with what day of the week it is. It has everything to do with this matter of asking and receiving by faith what Jesus Christ says has afforded us in his redemptive plan. So that's why we pray. It's the only way you can find release and relief and salvation and forgiveness of your sin by asking, and asking is pray. Now, the second thing that I want to touch on tonight is we pray because it's the way we get things from God apart from our salvation. Now, some say we should not use God as a divine Santa Claus. And I agree with that to a point, but I would point out very quickly that God tells us over and over again in His Word to ask Him for what we need. And I don't want people going around Capitol Christian Center saying, Don't use God as a crutch, as a way out. If he isn't a way out, then we wouldn't need him, would we? He is the way out, and the way through, and the way around, and the way over, and the way under. He's everything. And so, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek. And ye shall find, knock, and it shall be open unto you. And that's exactly what prayer is. It's asking, it's seeking, it's knocking, it's expecting, it's receiving. You must believe that in order for prayer to be effective in your life. Now, we have a good number of ladies here tonight. And I suspect that out of all of the ladies in this building this evening, 99 and 99, 100% of you like to go window shopping. Now, when you go window shopping, this is the way I understand it. I'm not into that. But this is the way I understand it from a very reliable source. that when you go window shopping, you don't plan to buy anything. You're just going to look. Maybe you don't even have any money to buy anything, but you just like to see how the other side lives. You like to see what the latest fashion is, or when your ship does come in exactly what you're going to go down and invest in. You want to be ready. You never know when that's going to happen. So you go window shopping. Now, a woman can spend half a day downtown doing that and buy nothing, and that's incredible to me, just looking, just looking. Now, when I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that that's the way some people pray. They don't expect to get anything. They just go through the motion of prayer. They're window shopping. Never expect to come away with what they really need. I want that to be erased. If you will think with me for a moment, you would have to say that unless we expect that God is going to do something in response to our prayer, it's rather useless to pray, right? It doesn't give us any points just because we spent a half a day expecting nothing, just because we so-called prayed. If we don't expect something in response to our prayer, we might as well not pray. If when you bow your head even over your food, if you don't expect God To sanctify what you've prayed over, why take the time to pray? You see, there's a double element in praying even for a meal. It's thanksgiving, and it's also in case there's something in that food that's detrimental to your body, God can take that out. And who knows? So it's a source of health, isn't it? And we're not just going through motions when we do that. When we come down here in the front in the morning and we have the brethren lay hands upon us and anoint us with oil, we come expecting. It's in His Word. He will hear the prayer of faith and He responds to that prayer of faith. So, if we're going to pray, let's pray with expectation. Ask, seek, knock, receive. Now, here's how that works. Pray definitely. I have underscored this a time or two before in your hearing, but let me do it again tonight. Our prayer should be definite. When we are in a restaurant for a meal, and that waitress comes over to wait upon you, you do not say... Bring me some food. She will look at you as though you had just been released from the local whatever they call it. You look at the menu and say, bring me a New York steak, medium well, tossed salad, French dressing, and a baked potato. Don't you get up and leave now. You lay it all out there, and you are definite. The most unbelievable person I've ever been with in a restaurant is Doug Weed. Doug Weed hates menus. He'll hardly even look at one. I don't know what there is about him, but that's the way he is. And the waitress will come and ask for the order, and he'll say, "'What do you suggest?' It's unbelievable. And they get into this dialogue, and she's trying to suggest, no, I don't like that. Do you like that? How could you like that? I mean, this is going on while you're sitting there waiting, you know, starving to death. It's not quite my way, but it's a riot to sit here and watch him do that. What would you like to drink? Or what, what do you think I ought to have? <laughs> I mean, by the time we leave that restaurant, we're the talk of the place. <laughs> but I don't recommend that, particularly as we apply it to our prayer life. When you ladies go into a grocery store, you don't walk up to the counter and say, give me a bag of groceries. You're liable to get nine cans of dog food. You see, we wouldn't do that in life, but we do it with God. We pray because we believe we're going to receive. So we pray definitely. Lord, save the world. That isn't too hot. What part of the world is on your heart? Lord, save my family. What is their name? Pray definitely about what you want to receive from God. When someone says to me, I want you to come to dinner with me sometime, it doesn't mean a thing. It's too indefinite. But when they say, Pastor, we want to have you for dinner on Thursday at 6.30, that means something. That's definite. And I believe with all of my heart that's exactly what the Bible is trying to say to us, and we've missed it. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do you pray definitely in asking about things in life? Apply it in any area you wish. If you honestly need a larger home because your family is growing, ask Jesus for what size of home you want. Spell it out. Three bedrooms, two baths, two-car garage, etc., close to a school that I believe in with every ounce of my being. We do not enter into a relationship with God that is intimate because we refuse to put God on the spot. But I like to put God on the spot. After all, he's the one who gave the promises. And if he gave the promises, why don't we hold him to his word? He can handle it. Hallelujah. He can handle it. He knows where that house is. He knows where that car is that you need. He knows where that job is. He knows the circumstances that you face, but he wants you to come to him and not say, give me a bag of groceries. Or what do you suggest? He wants you to say, God, this is what I need. This is out of right motive. This is from my heart. You know, Lord, that I'm not praying out of a heart that has a wrong motive or a wrong intention, it's significant, Lord, that I ask you for this specific thing in Jesus' name. You watch God work on your behalf as you learn how to pray that way. Why do we pray? Because we get things from God that are important to life. Let me just tell you, it's so up-to-date, it's almost like today. I very, very rarely get a cold or a sore throat, but I had to sit in a room the other day that was very cold for several hours chairing a meeting, and Friday morning when I woke up, I felt this thing developing in my throat, and I had scheduled a very busy weekend preaching all day today, several meetings yesterday, and I said, Lord, I cannot afford this sore throat. I cannot afford it. I don't need it. I can't have it. Therefore, you remove it. I spit up yesterday, if you will pardon the expression, the strangest something I've never had that experience before. And immediately that soreness left. I got up this morning with no soreness whatsoever. I have preached today without any handicap or hindrance whatsoever. I don't think we have to accept these things that the enemy likes to throw at us to keep us from accomplishing the purposes of God. So, God and I just had a little conversation. I don't need this sore throat. I don't need this fever that I felt beginning. I was hot. I don't need it, Lord. Therefore, remove it. I've got work to do this weekend, and it's work for you. And He took care of it. Now, if I had not prayed that way, it's very possible I'd be in bed tonight that I wouldn't have been able to fill this pulpit today. That's why I say, begin to move into a prayer life that says, Lord, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I need. This is what I expect. That's why I pray. And that's what God wants. Third thing. Why should I pray? Because it is through prayer that you keep in communion with God. Now, if you don't talk to somebody for a period of years, you cannot say, we are in communion. You have to fellowship. So it is with prayer. When we pray faithfully, we develop a sweet sense of the presence of God. You walk about knowing that he's there. Have you ever sensed the presence of God when someone walked in a room where you were seated? There was just something about that person that brought an an atmosphere to the room. That person has kept the prayer channel open. It's a good illustration of this third point. That is a person who is in communion with God. And as they walk with God and fellowship with God, the atmosphere of their life affects those that they touch. Have you felt that? If so, I want you to know that you can be that way, that your life can have that fragrance. I remember going to visit an elderly lady who had ministered for many years up in the Northwest. Her name, Molly Perks, fantastic lady of faith and prayer. My wife and I walked into her little apartment, and Molly looked up as we came in and said, I was just laying here praying. Well, she didn't need to tell me that. That whole room was filled with an aura. The presence of God was in that place. I almost felt like falling on the ground. There was such a fragrance in that room where she was because she lived prayer. Her whole life was an atmosphere of a sweet smell to God. Communion with her heavenly Father. But that ought not to be the unusual. That's what troubles me. It ought to be the norm. Tomorrow, when you walk into your office or the shop or the school, there ought to be such a fragrance, such an aura about our lives that people will say, wow, what was that that just walked by? A presence. Because of our communion with our Heavenly Father, we're living in an atmosphere of prayer and fellowship with God. We don't get up and fight with the family members and read the headlines of the paper of murder and rape and carnage and go in the car and get on a busy freeway and honk our way through the traffic and expect to walk into an office and somebody sense that God just walked in. You've got to have that communion and that fellowship and that sense of God's nearness and His power and His presence permeating your very life. Filling your life, with that aroma. You get on your knees and pray, you should arise with a right feeling toward God and a right feeling toward man. You get close to Him and catch His Spirit and you don't hate anyone else. You don't have bitterness toward other people and there flows from you a sweet smell that blesses God and blesses man because of communion with the Father. Through prayer, that's why you should pray. It's the only way to live that kind of life and have that kind of influence. The fourth reason I want to give you tonight, and it's an important one, prayer keeps us from worrying. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer. God has set forth in his word the antidote for worry. Instead of worrying, we are to take everything to God in prayer. The same man who wrote the psalm that we have read from tonight, Psalm 86, wrote Psalm 34, where he said, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. When he cried, the Lord saved him. He didn't have to go around worrying. He didn't have to go around fretting about the circumstances of his life. Dr. Walter Wilson, the physician and preacher, had a sign painted and hung by his desk. It was really a sarcasm, but he did it to wake people up, and this was his sign. Why pray when you can worry? Friends, we need God's deliverance from worry. We need to learn how to cast our burden upon the Lord because He cares for us. How many of you are anxious for things this week, things that probably will never happen? How many of you are worrying about a circumstance next week or next month? Something that may never occur, even if it does occur, God will be there. God will strengthen you. God will help you. It is not Christ-honoring to go through your life worrying. It is Christ-honoring to go through life praying about everything and being anxious for nothing and letting God get glory from your life. Prayer will keep you from worrying. Now, let us look at some examples of answered prayers. as we bring this to a close. One of the great examples to me is in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. In 2 Chronicles 32, there is a king by the name of Hezekiah. Encamped against Jerusalem and Hezekiah are the Assyrians... The king of the Assyrians is a man by the name of Sennacherib, and Sennacherib sends a letter to King Hezekiah, and in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 17, here are the words of the letter. As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand... So shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hand. Now that's trouble. How would you respond? How would you reply to the letter of Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians? The God of Israel will not deliver his people out of mine hand. He's roaring now against Hezekiah and the people of God. Here's what verse 20 says. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven, smart people. They did not have a tactical committee meeting about how to handle Sennacherib and all of the Assyrian hosts They prayed and cried to heaven. Can you imagine the significance of this Friday if all over this land people would get to houses of prayer and fall on their faces before God by the thousands and millions and cry to the God of heaven for help in this distressing hour? Can you imagine what God would do? He would have every last angel out of vacation pay, doing duty, ministering, to the people of earth. Because in this passage in 2 Chronicles, verse 21, the very next verse, after Isaiah and Hezekiah go to prayer and cry to the Lord, the Bible says, and the Lord sent one angel. Oh, I want you to see this. And the Lord sent an angel. doesn't even say a host of angels. It says, and the Lord sent an angel. And what happened? That night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were slain. The king spread the letter before the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, Here is the letter of Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. We cry unto you for help, and the Lord says, No problem, has he? Just hang on. I've got just the right person to send. Just hang on. And that night, one angel... Just one angel, just one angel takes care of the whole Assyrian host just because of one prayer meeting by two men, Hezekiah and Isaiah. Oh, power of prayer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison to be slain the next day. Sixteen soldiers were guarding Peter. It takes a lot more of the enemy's men than it does the Lord's. There is in the natural no possibility for Peter to get out of prison but those of you who are familiar with that text know that there was a prayer meeting going on. How many know there was a prayer meeting going on? Sure. Where was it? In a house. Who was it? The church. What were they praying for? The world? Lord, bless your servants everywhere. No, they were praying specifically for the release of Peter. While Peter slept soundly, the church was over there praying, and he was so sound asleep that an angel of the Lord had to come and smite him on the thigh, just outright hit him to wake him up, and said to him, Peter, arise, half asleep. He gets up, the chains fall off, he follows the angel out, the doors open, he goes out into freedom and goes to the house where the prayer meeting was going on Mary's house and he rings the bell at the gate and a damsel comes and looks at him and runs back into the house and doesn't open the gate and she said it's Peter oh bless the church couldn't be he's in prison <laughs> you've seen an angel aren't we great though in our prayers. But God is so merciful and helpful to us. It didn't matter. God sent the girl back, and she opened the gate, and to the amazement of the whole church, Peter walked in, a free man. And instead of him dying the next day, the king sets upon a throne to make an oration, and they say it is the voice of a God and not of a man, and he's driven from his throne and worms eat his body, and that's the end of Herod, while Peter is found in the streets preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now again, it was just one angel that came down and broke the chains and broke the locks and opened the gate of the prison and let Peter out. Just one angel while all those soldiers were sleeping, and the ironic thing is, that the 16 soldiers were put to death because the prisoner was released. Could you say God's sense of humor? All because of a prayer meeting in a house. And yet we will do everything else before we pray. I guess it's because we expect more from the physician than we do from God. We expect more from our financial advisor than we do from God. Could it be? Well, let's examine our hearts. Why do we pray to get the things we need from God and let God show Himself strong on our behalf and to stop our worrying and move through life with a power and an authority that will touch others? George Mueller of Bristol, England, took care of more than 2,000 children, raised more than $7 million, supported hundreds of missionaries, gave away thousands of Bibles, established many schools for poor children, one of the great stories of faith in the history of man. How did he do it? He never asked anyone for one shilling. He never asked a person for one thing he ever needed. It's remarkable. Read the story of George Mueller. He never asked for a penny. He never asked for a thing. But he just told God about it. That's all he did. He only prayed every building built, every meal provided for all of those children. All of the salaries for the workers came in without one single collection being taken in the life of George Mueller. Not one. It all came because he prayed. He was a man of prayer. Psalm 86, 7, where we read tonight, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. David believed that. I was watching a man down at the bottom of a telephone pole a while ago, and it seemed that he knew exactly what to do for the fellow that was high up on the pole. They had a little pulley and a little tray-like thing, and the fellow below would put everything that fellow up there needed at the appropriate time. There seemed to be no communication between them. It was just the pulley came down, and he put a thing there, and it went up, and a while later, and it was always right until I looked carefully, and I saw stuck in that fellow's ear on the bottom a little transistor of some kind, and I knew that the fellow up on top was talking to the fellow on the bottom. They were in communication. You know it's neat when the Holy Spirit witnesses something to your heart while you're looking at it right out in front of you. It's kind of like the parables of Jesus. When you get a spiritual lesson by a very physical and natural sign, a Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said that's exactly the way prayer is. When you're in communication, you're all tuned in. It's all right there. You just, it's just so easy and so natural. All that you have need of right at the right time, never early, never late, God is there providing because you're in communication. It's the essence of prayer. It's that two-way opportunity of communication. Man speaking with his God and God responding to the choicest of his creation. Man providing for him what he needs. That's why we pray. It's the way we find Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. And it's the only way. It's the way we get the things we need in life, because he asked us to pray. He did not close the door of heaven to us. He said, pray, and I will answer and show thee great and mighty things which you know not. It is prayer that will stop our worrying and our anxiety and our getting ulcers and all shook up about life. It will bring things into order and it is prayer that keeps us in communication with God and the aura of our life touches the world around us because we've got that situation all set up and it's working. Hallelujah. David called unto the Lord because he believed the Lord would hear him and save him in his day of trouble. You believe it? If you do, you'll pray more. Why don't we pray right now? Our Father and our God, we have endeavored to lay out tonight before your people a simple outline of what you have made clear to us in terms of communication, prayer. Father, if there are those here who need to practice number one tonight to be saved, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May they do it in these next few minutes. If there are those who need things and their motive is right, may they pray in faith specifically tonight and determinedly and find what they need. And if there are those that are filled with anxiety and worry, by prayer, may they put a trust in God that will remove that anxiety and bring them into real fellowship. And then, Lord, if there are those who are out of communion, may they come back into communion by humbling themselves and practicing communicating with you on a regular basis that there may be signals given that will provide the answers for life's struggles. We pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, may I quickly move to point one and ask that if you have come to church on this Sunday night needing Jesus Christ in your heart, I would like the joy of praying for you and asking Christ Jesus to come in. And if you want him to save you from your sin, you have to call. So let me help you. Raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want Jesus Christ in my heart. I need to have my sins forgiven. And I want to call upon the name of the Lord because he said whosoever would call would be saved. Thank you back there under the balcony. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you over here. God bless you to my right on the aisle, sir. God bless you. You may put them down once I've seen the hand. Are there others that would like to... Raise your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life, and I know he will come if I ask him. It's that simple. Just raise your hand. Ask him to come in. He'll be right there. It's his promise. He'll be there. Do you need Jesus? Lift your hand if you do. Ask him to come. He will only come by your invitation. Everyone must ask. If you haven't done it, do it tonight. Raise your hand and say by that hand, I'm doing it, Pastor. Pray with me. I'm doing it. I want Jesus Christ to come in.